Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from Ephesians. In fact, for the rest of the summer, uh, we will be following along with the readings from the epistle lesson and looking at the book of Ephesians. And so we begin that uh, today. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us here as one. Lord, elect from every nation, we are among those nations that you have sent your Son, Jesus, to die for. And we pray, Lord, that today, as your people in this place, you would grant us your Holy Spirit so that we might learn what it means to be the church, to grow into the building that you have created us to be. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were tasked with starting a church, how would you begin? What would you go about doing if you were called upon to build a church? My guess is that as very pragmatic, practical Americans, we would start it kind of like we would start any other business. First things first, we would find a location, right? We need to find a good place to have this church, a prime piece of property. Then we would start to take out loans and, and start to raise money so that we could build a building and gather in that building. Now, in order to have a church, you need more than a location and a building, and so we would probably say we need to find some people to come to our church. So we would do a demographic study. We would get to know our neighborhood. We would get to know the kinds of people that live in our neighborhoods, and then we would try and figure out <laughs> what kinds of people we want in our church. And then we would hire staff so that that staff could identify with those people, have some kind of charismatic leader. And then we would develop programs for the people so that they would find that their needs are being met in this place. Then we would begin to develop social programs to help us reach out to the community so that the community knows we are a place that loves them. So these would be like the ingredients. This is what we would go for, right? Perfect location, beautiful building, the right kinds of people, and socially conscious programs. And we would have ourselves a church, right? Not even close. Not even close. We would have ourselves a social club with religious trappings. Because none of that stuff I just listed there at all is the church. A lot of work done, perhaps, in the name of the church. But none of it is necessary if our goal is to build a church. Building is helpful, but it's not necessary. And of course, you need people to have a church, but good heavens, have you ever seen anywhere in Jesus' ministry where he goes looking for the right kinds of people? Goodness. Jesus looks for sinners. And of course, social programs are great and beneficial, but the Lions Club does those just as well as anybody. So the question is, if none of that is necessary to build a church, what is? What makes a church? How does the church come about? Well, as it turns out, this is the very thing St. Paul is addressing in our reading from the book of Ephesians today. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, this summer we're going to be spending all of our time in the book of Ephesians. This is a letter written by a man named Paul to the church in Ephesus. Now, to know a little bit of the background of this church, Ephesus is a place that is not too welcoming to Christians. They primarily worship the goddess Artemis there in Ephesus. And when the church arises, it meets a great deal of persecution. Yet, nonetheless, in that hostile community, Christ Jesus, by means of his word, has planted the seed of his church, and the church has begun to grow. Now, this congregation in Ephesus 
is made up of a variety of kinds of people. Two specifically uh, is what we deal with here in the book of Ephesians, Jewish people and Gentile people. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anybody in the Bible who is not from the, uh, the tribes in Israel. They are Gentile people. The majority of us in this congregation are Gentile people. We do have a few uh, people in our congregation with Jewish origins, uh, but generally speaking, we are a Gentile people. So you have Jews and you have Gentiles. But in the Ephesians congregation, in the congregation in Ephesus, you had both of them meeting together to worship the same Jesus Christ. And as we come into our reading today, we come in on the tail end of some very important words that Paul had to speak to that congregation. He was reminding that congregation of how it is all of them, Jew and Gentile alike, were saved. He reminds them how all of them were born sinful and unclean. By nature and by choice, they were sinful rebels and enemies of God. His words. The way Paul describes our spiritual state, he says it's like this. It's like you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and you only did damage to others. We're basically spiritual zombies, right? Like zombies are basically dead, but all they do is damage. That's us spiritually apart from Christ, Paul says. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save you, to die for your sins on the cross, to rise again and bring you new life. And what did you do to earn or deserve this, Paul says? Nothing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Christ has saved all of us by his grace alone. But the fact that this saving work of Jesus was done not just for Jews and not just for Gentiles, but for all people, Paul says, it means that the saving work of Jesus does more than just save us. It also unites us together into one body. For all of us are reconciled to God in the exact same way. Jesus saved Gentile and Jewish sinners in the same way. And so this unity that is created by the saving work of Jesus, this community that is created in this way, we call the church. Now there are a number of metaphors we can use to describe the church. My favorite metaphor, uh, which actually is kind of derived from the reading in Ezekiel today that Mike read for us, comes from Martin Luther. And Martin Luther says you can define the church this way, and I think this is very helpful. He says the church is a sheep who hear their shepherd's voice. Sheep who hear their shepherd's voice. You want to make a church, what do you need? The shepherd's voice is the word of God. And you need sheep, people who hear it and believe it. This makes up the church. Now, in our reading today, Paul decides not to use the shepherding metaphor, but he decides to go another route and talk about how the church is like a building the foundation of which is the preaching of God's word, and you and I, who are members of this church, we are the building wherein the Holy Spirit dwells. And so he talks to us today about how the Holy Spirit actually builds his church on the foundation of the word of God. But before he gets there, he has to do a little demolition work. Before we get to the construction of the church, St. Paul says, the Lord God has to do some demolition. There are certain walls that have been built up that need to be destroyed before the church can be built. And so what he does today for us is he shows us how Christ has come and destroyed these walls that would keep people out of the church so that they can be brought in and Christ can begin to build his church. 
this is a fascinating text, and it's a little bit heady today, so uh, try and stick with me here. But when you read through St. Paul, sometimes it gets a little heady. But one of the things Paul talks about today is how in the Old Testament, there was a wall of division that was built between the Jews and the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, you had Israel, and then you had the rest of the world, the Gentile nation. And God had created laws to divide the two. And God created these laws in the right way, for the right reasons, of course, because God made them. But one of the problems that the Israelites and the Jewish people have in the Old Testament is they're constantly tempted by the other nations. They want to go worship with those nations. They want to go uh, sleep with those nations. They want to go do all kinds of inappropriate worship and sinful stuff with those nations. And so God creates laws to say, no, we need to be distinct from those people. We need to be holy and set apart from those people. And those laws are sort of created to keep uh, the, the influence of the pagan evil Gentiles away from God's people. And in this way, there was a separation there. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians, when he's speaking specifically to the Gentiles. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, Pretty picture there. In this way, the law of God kept the Gentiles away from the Israelites. And this was, to a certain extent, necessary. Now, the problem became that the Jews refused then to interact with the Gentiles. It was to be this way, that the Gentiles would not influence the worship of Israel, but that Israel would go out and influence the worship of the world. The whole world was to see Israel as this light on the hill, and they would come flocking to worship the one true God. Well, what ends up happening, if you do a little bit of your history work here of Israel, is this. Uh, Israel's broken up into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is destroyed by the Assyrians. And later on, the Babylonians come in, and they destroy the Jews, uh, Judah. They, they don't destroy the Jews, I should say. They destroy the temple in Jerusalem, and they bring the Jews into exile. The Jews live in exile for 70 years, and then they go back to Jerusalem, and they begin to rebuild the second temple, not nearly as glorious. Well, over the years, they're always working on this temple. They're always rebuilding and adjusting this temple. And along the way comes along this guy by the name of Herod. And Herod, he does this demographic study of Jerusalem when he's king, and he realizes there's far too many Gentile people around, and they might come in and sully up the whole situation there in Jerusalem. So he needs to protect the temple from all these Gentile people. So what does he do? He builds a literal wall around the temple in Jerusalem. The name of this wall is the Soreg, S-O-R-E-G, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing correctly, the Soreg. And on this wall, these words are written. It says something to the effect in both Greek and Latin. Any Gentile who passes this wall will suffer death. Or another way of saying is welcome to our church, right? Like this is what he has literally written on the wall to keep the Gentiles away from the Jews and the worship, to keep the Gentiles away from God so that God can be protected and kept safe and holy, I suppose, from the Gentile influence. It's in this way, by building this wall, that they hope to keep themselves pure. All right, still tracking with me? A lot going on here. All right, everyone says no. Excellent. So, what now happens is you start to study the Scriptures and you realize something about these laws and these walls. They are no good at keeping people holy. In fact, when you study the scriptures, you find out that the law can make nobody holy. All the law ends up doing is exposing the fact that we don't need Gentiles to make us holy. We do just fine on our own. 
Uh, to make us simple, I should say, we do just fine on our own. The law only ends up exposing sin and revealing the fact that nobody is righteous, no, not one. The only way anybody ever becomes holy is by God coming to them, by the Holy Spirit, the one who makes us holy, coming to us by means of the Word and giving us the gift of Jesus Christ who has died for us and risen for us. The only way someone becomes holy is not by law, but by God's grace. Gracious work of Jesus Christ. Christ has come to bring that salvation to everyone by destroying these walls, by destroying these distinctions with his blood, abolishing them and creating something new. So notice how St. Paul talks about this today in his letter. He says, now in Christ, you who were once far off, that is Gentiles, uh, were brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That is all to say, Christ, who has reconciled sinners from every nation to God, now has come to destroy anything that would keep us apart and prevent us from worshiping the one true God. Any differences, any wall that we build up in the church, Christ has destroyed, be it an ethnic difference or a socioeconomic difference or... <clears throat> a political difference, or gender differences, or whatever. Christ has destroyed these boundaries with his own shed blood. And if we like to build those walls up between us and others in order to make sure they pass by the wall in the way we want them to before they can worship with us, well, then we have created an idol, which Christ comes to destroy and which you and I need to repent of. For Christ has not come to build walls, but to tear them down to bring all people to salvation by faith in his name. But now notice this. This is very important. Christ's work is not merely destructive. It is constructive as well. Christ, the scriptures tell us constantly, kills to make alive. He destroys in order to rebuild, and he sets forth to replace any law or rule or identity marker that would keep people separated from him. And he's decided to gather them in with his word of promise forgiveness of sins, the preaching of his word, which is directed towards anybody with ears to hear. Listen again to what St. Paul writes. And Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ builds his church then with his word. So what is necessary to build the church? First, Jesus Christ and his word. St. Paul says here today, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. You put him in place 
first so that everything else is set right. And with Christ as the cornerstone, you then lay the foundation. And what is the foundation upon which the church is built? The preaching and teaching of the apostles and prophets. That's a big fancy way of saying the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament uh, prophets refers to the Old Testament, and the apostles refers to those who were with Jesus in his ministry, or to St. Paul, who was sent by Jesus uh, to give us the New Testament. And the content of their preaching is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's why we can sing a song like the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord, because it is the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ for sinners upon which the church is built. But now that you have a foundation, you need to start building on that foundation. And what is the material that Christ use, uh, uses to build his church? You. You are the ones with ears to hear. You are the one for whom the word has been sent. And now Christ is building you all into his temple, wherein his Holy Spirit dwells. We, in this place, in this morning, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and Christ dwells with his Holy Spirit here in and amongst us. We are being built up by this word to be the temple of God. Would you believe this, that he has done this, and he's done it for you? You all together are those who are called and gathered and enlightened to be the people of God in this place. You are the sheep who hear the good shepherd's voice. You are those who are far off that Christ Jesus has brought near. And now as you hear his word and worship, you learn his word and study, you are united together as one in order to care for everybody that God brings to you in this place. All of this he has done by his grace alone, and all of this he has done for you. Christ has accomplished it by shedding his blood and sending forth his word of forgiveness for you. It's upon that word that we build. Take heart, dear saints, for you are forgiven. You are reconciled to God, and you are one. You are the church that Jesus Christ has built himself. Amen. Let's pray. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, that you build your church. And you do so by means of your word and your sacrifice. We pray, O Lord, that as members of this body, as pieces of this temple, Lord, that you would build us up to be one, to serve and love and care for one another, just as you have done for us. Now grant us your grace and give us your spirit so that we might go forth and proclaim your saving message to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.